0: Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse
1: alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, the recent election makes me kind of wax nostalgic about this great country. And as a boy, strange as it may seem, one of my favorite things to do was to head up to Disney World after each one of the presidential elections and see the president's doppelganger of sorts at the Hall of Presidents. But I always had this thought in the back of my mind. Why is the Hall of Presidents featured as an attraction? Everything else seems to be themed toward a unique concept like the Haunted Mansion or a particular Disney-owned property like, say, Peter Pan. But the answer lies with Walt himself. He saw the importance of remembering what brought us to where we are today, of honoring our history. So on today's podcast, I wanted to look back into history and reflect on the Hall of Presidents. Looking back at Walt's life, as a teen in 1917, young Walt Disney became very interested in the conflict going on in Europe at the time. His older brother Roy had joined the Navy, but Walt was not old enough to enlist. But Walt was nothing if not clever. He showed a streak of cleverness and had his mother sign his passport and then changed his age on the passport. Old enough on paper, he joined the Red Cross Ambulance Unit that was heading over to Europe. Soon, he was overseas in France with the Red Cross Ambulance Corps as a driver serving his country and so began a strong patriotic sense of duty in Walt Disney. Flash forward to December of 1941. Time magazine had plans to put Dumbo on the cover of its magazine that month, but Pearl Harbor changed everything as the U.S. engaged in a global conflict. It's one of those moments that galvanized a nation, and introducing a war theme in place of Dumbo certainly made sense. And Walt Disney got involved at home. Throughout the Second World War, the Walt Disney Studios worked with the United States government to produce both training films and propaganda films to help the war effort. Some say that it was Walt Disney's patriotic spirit that drove most of his efforts. In 1941, Walt Disney spoke before the Metropolitan Opera House in New York City and said, "'Tomorrow will be better. For as long as America keeps alive the ideas of freedom and better life,' All men will want to be free and share our way of life. I thank God and America for the right to live and raise my family under the flag of tolerance, democracy, and freedom. On top of that, his memories of Marceline, Missouri, old-time America, and turn-of-the-century lifestyle, and his involvement in the war efforts fueled the designs for the patriotic spirit in all of his theme parks and, above all, to the signature trademark recognized by all guests, Main Street, USA. Now, Main Street USA represents small-town America as Walt remembers it from his boyhood. This area of the Magic Kingdom represents the American life at the turn of the century. Officially, Main Street USA represents America between 1890 and 1910, and the objective was to recreate old-time America using the feeling of the turn of the century when new ideas were coming into play. So you might have a marriage of old-time architecture and horse-drawn carriages with the introduction of the horseless carriages and electricity. Main Street, USA represents the transitioning of the old with the new. It's at the heart of the Magic Kingdom's America that a little-known ceremony takes place at Town Square. At dusk in the Magic Kingdom, each afternoon, there is a flag retreat ceremony that's conducted. During this ceremony, the American flag flying above Town Square is brought down while the National Anthem is played. The flag is removed, folded in the traditional military manner, and ceremoniously marched off. The next time you're in the Magic Kingdom, check at City Hall for the scheduled time of the flag retreat. Or you can check out my YouTube channel, as I recently happened to catch it and caught a video of it that I uh, posted to YouTube. But if Main Street serves as a view into the past, Liberty Square delves into our history. The Magic Kingdom's Liberty Square recreates the feel of the days of the American Revolution. It offers several different types of architecture for that time, including Dutch Amsterdam, Federal, and Georgian style. The idea is to focus on all of America's past. The replica of the Liberty Bell standing in front of the Liberty Tree is the showcase of the centerpiece of Liberty Square. The Liberty Tree itself has 13 lanterns hanging from its limbs, representing the original 13 colonies— the Liberty Tree commemorates the communal meeting place of the Sons of Liberty, who in 1865 protested the imposition of the Stamp Act. During the 1970s, the Magic Kingdom conducted a daily ceremony called Sons and Daughters of Liberty, where a boy and a girl would be chosen to take part in the ceremony held in front of the Liberty Bell. Now, I was actually picked to perform in this, and I remember it well. It was really something kind of neat, and it had a certain patriotism to it that I still remember and reflect on as something really cool. Now, in this ceremony, a small fife and drum unit marched out from in front of the Liberty Bell, and a cast member dressed in a revolutionary attire read a proclamation that declared that these two guests were newly named members of the Sons and Daughter of Liberty. The two children would be in an active part of the ceremony as they would march with the unit in front of the Liberty Bell. Across the way, Colonial Hall, which houses the Hall of Presidents, incorporates architecture designs used in Boston and Philadelphia when the Declaration of Independence was signed, and the Constitution of the United States were being forged. The date on the front is 1787, that's the year in which the Constitution was ratified. In keeping with the patriotic theme, the Liberty Tree Tavern is patterned after 18th century colonial inns. The taste of Americana is also found within the rivers of America, and the paddleboat best remembered as the main transportation along the Mississippi River and on Tom Sawyer's Island. If you look at a map, you realize that the Hall of Presidents resides right in the heart of the Liberty Square, and that would be pretty much as Walt would have envisioned it. And speaking of that, there's a historical footnote here. Our nation's founders made the official motto of the fledgling nation, E Pluribus Unum, which means, out of many, one. And that summed up the nature of what had been created. But in 1956, the nation was going through the height of the Cold War, and there was a fear of communism creeping through our society. Congress passed a joint resolution to replace the existing motto with, "...in God we trust." Now, at least in part, the change was motivated by the desire to differentiate between communism, which promotes atheism, and Western capitalistic democracies, which tend to be normally Christian. And why this is important is because Walt Disney was a founding member of the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, which was distinctly anti-communist, and testified several times before Congress on the topic. I think it's safe to say that Walt Disney was about as pro-American as you could be. And so when he was thinking of a name for an attraction for his Disneyland park, he decided on something called One Nation Under God, which kind of encapsulated that feeling of the 1950s and what he wanted to have. It was about the American ideal. Walt wanted wax figures of all of the U.S. presidents, but later decided to make them animated figures. But unfortunately, technology was not on his side. The technology that Walt Disney wanted for the attraction wasn't quite where it needed to be, and and so he could never get the concept going. But here's where the 1964 World's Fair comes back into play and intersects with history. I've told you this before. That World's Fair was a seminal moment in the history of the parks, and here's why. Walt Disney decided to collaborate with his fellow Imagineers of the WED Enterprises to try to make the first audio-animatronic figure in a human form, and he decided it would be one of his heroes abraham lincoln the 16th president of the united states and the general concept they came up with was something called great moments with mr lincoln and included a six-minute talk by the president in the illinois pavilion at the world's fair and this animatronic lincoln could move with quasi human-like movements it was actually kind of cool and very revolutionary for its time it was rudimentary to be sure but it was more than it had ever been done before Now, the show itself was a success in the period of time that it ran at the World's Fair, but Walt wanted to make it even grander to include at Disneyland. So using the concept they'd already learned, Imagineers created a new, more advanced figure of Abraham Lincoln. The show now consisted of a pre-show film on screen with a depiction of paintings done to represent Illinois. Guests then entered the main theater, where the theater curtains eventually were removed to reveal the figure of Abraham Lincoln sitting in a chair. He rose out of the chair, stood up, and gave a six-minute talk that was a collection of his famous speeches. The show concluded with more theater curtains revealing the rotunda of the United States Capitol building. And I'd like to play for you that six-minute audio now so you get a feeling for what started it all. We pay tribute
2: here not to a man who lived a century ago, but to an individual who lives today in the hearts of all freedom-loving people. His prophetic words are as valid for our time as they were for his. And now, the skills of the sculptor and the talents of the artist will let us relive great moments with Mr. Lincoln. We all declare poor liberty. But in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. What constitutes the bulwark of our liberty and independence? It is not our frowning battlements, our bristling sea coat, these are not our reliance against tyranny. Our reliance is in the love of liberty, which God has planted in our bosom. Our defense is in the preservation of the spirit which prizes liberty as the heritage of all men, in all ways, everywhere. You have planted the seeds of despotism around your own door. At what point shall we expect the approach of today? By what means shall we fortify again? Shall we expect a transatlantic military giants? To step the ocean and crush us in a hole? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track down the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. At what point then Is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer that if it ever reached, it must spring from us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our life, we ourselves must be the order. men, we must live through all time, or die by suicide. Neither let us be slandered from our duty by false accusations against them, or frightened from it by menaces of destruction to the government or dungeons to ourselves. Let us have faith that right makes life. Let us to the end. There to do our duty.
1: Now, does all of this sound familiar? Of course. It's the beginnings of what we think of today as the Hall of Presidents. In fact, in 1958, Walt Disney had put together a map of Disneyland, and there was a future land depicted off of Main Street. This area never materialized, but it was called Liberty Street. It's a very similar concept to what ultimately became Liberty Square in Disney World. If you study the map carefully, you can make out a number of shops and exhibits that would be included in the area like the Liberty Tree and Paul Revere Silver Shop. A version of both of these eventually found their way into Liberty Square at Walt Disney World, although the Silver Shop is now long gone has been replaced by the Christmas Shop. But also on this map was something called the Hall of Presidents. It was Walt's desire to create a show that told the story of the American Revolution. The centerpiece of this tale was to be re- a recreation of the chief executives— Unfortunately, again, the technology wasn't available. Now, Walt passed away on December 15, 1966, and by that time, plans were moving ahead for the still, under construction, Walt Disney World in the Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Since there was going to be another Disneyland-style theme park, this time officially known as the Magic Kingdom, Imagineers felt that one of the changes that would differentiate it between the Disneyland in California and the Magic Kingdom in Orlando should be some of the theme lands, The Imagineers decided that since Florida was close to New Orleans and Louisiana, in terms of actual distance, that having a New Orleans Square in the Magic Kingdom was a a bit superfluous. So the old designs and concepts for Disney's Liberty Street at Edison Square were reviewed, and what became of it was the Magic Kingdom's Liberty Square. And that served as the alternative to New Orleans Square, and Liberty Square also serves as the alternative location for the Magic Kingdom's version of the Haunted Mansion, which is located in New Orleans Square in Disneyland. The Imagineers also thought that as a follow-up to the great moments with Mr. Lincoln, they could finally create Walt Disney's concept of One Nation Under God, or what would be described as the Hall of Presidents. Now let's take a look at the show and its surroundings. The Hall of Presidents is housed in a red-brick colonial hall topped with a peak tower. This architectural style is designed to recall Philadelphia and Boston and the meeting houses. You enter a rotunda with benches along the walls. But one of the first things guests encounter upon entering the waiting room is the Great Seal of the United States, crafted out of 100% wool carpet. Now, the fun side note here is that it actually took an act of Congress to grant Disney permission to display this seal outside of actual use with the President of the United States. Along the walls are paintings. Most of them were used in the movie portion of the attraction, including a 1787 Philadelphia and Lincoln-Douglas debate. Also found in the lobby are a number of presidential portraits, and these are reproductions of paintings commissioned by each president during his term in office. Also on display are some real articles owned by the presidents, including Clinton's saxophone and shoe covers worn by Washington. And there are also documents that they wrote. There's another display that holds many of the dresses the First Ladies wore on their inauguration day, and the sound system at one time played Buddy Baker's underscore for the movie, softly in the background. Now, the show is in the next room, and it repeats itself every 20 minutes or so, so there's always a sign up that says, Next show in, however long. Now, when the time came, a cast member informed the guests that it was time to enter the theater. Blue curtains covered three size screens that took up the full width of the theater. On the screens was the great presidential seal. The sound of a drum roll signaled the start of the program. Now, the original film was narrated by Lawrence Dobkin, who you may remember in the discussion about Spaceship Earth. Disney veteran Paul Frees did many of the voices in the program, including George Washington, Stephen Douglas, and, and Governor Mifflin. The show begins with a presentation of the history of the United States of America. It shows that the American way was forged through conflict and many years of struggle. Next, you see men and women in colonial attire as they recite the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty ourselves, and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. The lofty voice of actor Dobkin intoned, These immortal words, when first written, proclaiming the worlds of a new idea among men. It's that same positive approach that guided great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and in a larger sense characterized Walt Disney's approach toward American history. It heralds moments of accomplishment idealistically as defining marks in our shared experience as people. Any negative facets of American history are usually left to be dealt with only with an overall positive context of celebrating the past. Next up is a wide panorama of the 1787 uh, Philadelphia, and we find ourselves in the Constitutional Convention. The film celebrated the liberties of the American people, the United States Constitution, and the progress of America in its early years. George Washington, played by Fries, and Benjamin Franklin, played by Dobkin, are heard making speeches to the convention. They assured the government is go- was going to be different, and if- after the formation of the Constitution, the first test of the Republic was the Whiskey Rebellion, which proved that the government would use force to ensure domestic tranquility. This newly created government was unique. In a world of kings and emperors, would it actually work? Now, of course, the taxation happened because the whiskey was carried across state lines and was therefore subject to federal taxation. Now, unrest broke out, and Washington was shown rebuking the governor of Pennsylvania for not maintaining order and citing legal authority to give him, as president, the right to use force to ensure domestic tranquility. Fortunately, the rebellion ended without bloodshed, as the sight of Washington leading forces on horseback was more than enough to defuse the crisis. We move up to 1833, and President Andrew Jackson found himself dealing with another threat to domestic tranquility, South Carolina's nullification campaign to declare federal tariff laws null and void in South Carolina, and any effort to enforce them would lead to South Carolina's secession from the Union. After these bold declarations, the voice of Andrew Jackson played by Dow McKinnon, reemphasized the need for the strong president leadership to ensure domestic tranquility and the supremacy of federal law. Tell them them for me that they can talk and write resolutions and print threats to their heart's content, but if one drop of blood be shed, there in defiance of the laws of the United States, I will hang the first man of them I can get my hands on from the first tree branch I can find. The programs advanced to 1858 when a cause of uh, sectionalism had grown stronger. The debates between Lincoln and Douglas uh, were now dealt with in depth. Lincoln, played by Royal Dano, reprising his great moments in Mr. Lincoln's performance, attacked the silliness of a Douglas' popular sovereignty approach to slavery, in which Douglas didn't care whether a slave is voted up or down. As Lincoln took in stride the taunts of hecklers, he argued that this government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. A house divided against itself cannot stand." Douglas, played by Paul Fries again, responded by declaring Lincoln's view of men being created equally by the Declaration of Independence and Divine Providence to be monstrous heresy. This was the only time slavery was dealt with in depth during the program, and a later use of generation social crises would say that the Hall of Presidents had paid insufficient attention to that issue. And that's important, and we'll come back to that topic in a future podcast, but... It's kind of an interesting thing that happened there. Now, Dopkin then uh, stated that Abraham Lincoln lost that election in 1858, but in losing, he won. For the people couldn't forget his plain-spoken manner from the prairie, and two years later, they sent him to the White House. Perhaps the most effective image of the entire movie segment appeared when Lincoln, now president, contemplating the horror of what's about to befall America, helped elevate the sequence into a moving artistic triumph.
2: Without you, the Constitution is- Of paper. I know there is a God and that he hates injustice and slavery. I see the storm coming. I know his hand is in it. If he has a place and work for me, and I think he has, I believe I'm ready. I am nothing.
1: Now, of course, the Constitution survived the conflict, making America a truly unified nation. The contrast between how Walt Disney's generation viewed this point in history and the common viewpoint of the Americans of the 1970s came into conflict at one point in the program. To an earlier generation, the Civil War's conclusion was both the end of a nightmare and the beginning of an uninterrupted golden age of progress and advancements for America. Such lingering issues, such as the failure of the Reconstructionists to provide a full racial equality and the struggle that still awaited women in their efforts to get their, their vote heard, were secondary to the things that helped boost America from the more rural, isolated society to the 19th century to the industrial world power of the 20th. And so the next part of the program noted the accomplishments of Thomas Edison, the Wright brothers, and the inventions of the automobile and the motion pictures, among other things, as a part of the century of change. And you have to love, when you hear this, how Walt Disney's influence on entertainment leading to learning is demonstrated here. We've just talked about all these different things that are important historical footnotes in the history of the United States, but they're done in a style where you remember them, and they, they stick with you, and you think about them, Even though they were done in an animatronic style at a Walt Disney World attraction, you remember them. They become part of our collective consciousness, and I think that is really cool. I'd rather entertain and hope the people learn than teach them. I think that's really what it's all about. Now, Dobkin's narration captured the so-called age of consensus in the mid-20th century where Americans took for granted their greatness, particularly their experiences in uh, defeating the Nazism in World War II and the challenging communist totalitarianism in in the early Cold War. The fundamental philosophy of freedom, the belief in the rights of the individual, and the dignity of the man remained unaltered. The Constitution was still the rock under its guarantees. Men were free to speak, free to worship if they pleased, and free to enjoy the fruits of their labor, and free to explore that new dimension of the universe. And all the while, the Constitution remained the pole of the country. And that's when the show turns to uh, the future, saying the leaders of tomorrow have to be committed to the Constitution and its principles, if the country is to survive. And then there's a Saturn V rocket that takes off from Port Canaveral en route to the moon. And the screens then lift up and the U.S. presidents take center stage. Dobkin segues into the finale by noting that the future of America needs to continue uh, perpetuating its ideals of government based on the Constitution to the entire world and that its leaders of tomorrow must be dedicated uh, to its preservation as were the leaders of yesterday, as are the leaders of today. After that's done, all 36, at the time, presidents are uh, called in chronological order. Um, And at the time the attraction opened in 1971, the roll call ended with Richard M. Nixon. Now, over time, each of the newly elected presidents, or in Ford's case, appointed, presidents would have an audio-animatronic version of himself added to the show in their likeness. Now, each one of the presidents responds to their name with a nod, a wave, or some other sign of acknowledgement. As Hail to the Chief plays in the background... During the presentation, the presidents fidget, talk to each other, and look around, all the while making the illusion seem quite real. Now, once the roll call was complete, George Washington sat down in a chair, and that's a replica of the chair he used at the Constitutional Convention, and Abraham Lincoln stood up to deliver his oratory. The Lincoln speech drew heavily from great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and the show winds up with the Battle Hymn of the Republic. The lights dim, and the curtains pull back, and the presidents opened up to the U.S. Capitol building silhouetted against blackness. As the song progressed, the sky surrounded the Capitol and took on red and white and blue aura of the American flag. A round of applause usually came up at this point, and the curtain descended on the 22-minute program. The original show remained uh, virtually unchanged from 1971 until October of 1993 with the exception of the additions of presidents that came along the way, so Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and George H.W. Bush, Elder Bush, and they were each added after they took the oath of office. Now, Lawrence Dobkin continued to be the narrator and re-recorded the roll call for each new edition. The only major feature change before 1993 was the original adaptation of The Battle Hymn of the Republic that served as part of the finale of the show. It was the same adaptation used in Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, and that should give you a pretty good introduction into what the Hall of Presidents is and what it's all about now what I'd like to do in my next podcast is to present to you the audio from the original production of the Hall of Presidents the one that ran from 1971 to 1993 so you can get a sense of what it actually sounded like when you'd sit in the theater and enjoy it but that's it for now and remember if we can dream it we really can do it bye now
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On ah Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash Sound A. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts, as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney Buzz on DisneyPodcast.net. And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish lists. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show
1: number 116.